Morning, Tom. One of my favorite people. This guy. You All too. Right. All right. Hey guys, welcome. So wonderful to be together on this Lord's Day. He is so good, so faithful, so true, so worthy of our praise, our worship. Hey, if you're uh, feeling a little overwhelmed by the sun, there there is some shade up here behind me. I won't. You, it, we're, we're informal here, so you're free to find some shade. There's some shade back there. You can sit back there. You can be part of the choir, right? We're all part of the choir for God's glory today. Well, God is so good. We're going to be in, uh, in Psalm 40 this morning, and uh, you can open your Bibles, or it's also printed on the back of the, the pamphlet that was handed to you this morning. Uh, I was reflecting this morning as I was watching the sunrise, uh, thinking about uh, where we were uh, last year, coming out of, uh, or in the midst of a pandemic, and uh, figuring out what, what does it look like to be the church when, uh, when it's not safe to, to gather. And I remember we, we began to meet out here, and, and the Spirit of God did something really special in that, where uh, in, a, in extraordinary times where the world felt uncertain, and everything was being changed, and canceled and taken away. It's like we found a, a place of refreshment out here in the, in the meadow to, to worship and to continue to gather. And I think it so often God works in the disappointments and the pains and the unexpected surprises of our lives. And isn't it amazing that our God can redeem even those things? <laughs> and he, he's a redeeming God. And the blessing of being here today came out of a time of disappointment, a time of uncertainty, a time of loss, a time of grief. And yet, we see the goodness of God, and He refreshes our souls, and He gives us strength, and His mercies are new every morning. Praise His name. As we uh, read Psalm 40, uh, if you're able, would you mind standing in honor of God's Word? I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pits and out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on the rock. And he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth and a hymn of praise for our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Amen? Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done. The things you planned for us, none can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but my my ears have opened. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God, Your law is within my heart. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. 
May all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, ah, ah, be appalled by their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, the Lord is great. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. You may be seated. Praise God for his word. So this week, uh, I got a call from a, a dear brother uh, from our church here, and uh, he, he ended up in the emergency room. Have you ever been in the emergency room? It's an interesting place. I, I've been there myself as a patient. I, I've been there as a parent, and I've been there as a pastor with people. And it's really interesting to... Uh, observe what happens in the emergency room. I have some friends who are doctors who love the emergency room and that, that's where they choose to, to practice medicine to, to help people. But, but it's a place of distress. It's a place of need. It's a place where people go when, when all other measures have failed and they're seeking help. And there's something about the emergency room that I think teaches us about waiting. If you read verse 1 of Psalm 40, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. It's hard to wait. (laughs) Are you good at waiting? I'm not always good at waiting. Waiting is difficult. And it's interesting when you're in the emergency room, as people are waiting, as their loved ones or they themselves are facing crisis, distress, as they wait, it's interesting to observe how people wait. I want to make a quick observation here. The the waiting of Psalm 40 as we wait on the Lord is not a passive waiting. It's not a throw up your hands and say, I don't care. There's nothing more I can do. And that's why I like the uh, illustration of an emergency room. Because when you have a problem and you're sick and if you've got pain in your stomach and you know your appendix appendix is, is swelling and is about to burst, you don't just throw up your hands and say, I'm not going to do nothing. You, you cry out. You call 911. You, you get to the emergency room. You, you move and you seek help. And that's what Psalm 40 is about, is seeking the help of the Lord. Because what does it say? I waited patiently for the Lord, and he heard my cry. <laughs> and so the psalmist is, is crying out. And uh, a few weeks ago... Um, Nick talked about how the Psalms is an invitation for us to cry out, to express to the Lord our trouble, our need, because we face so much trouble, so much need in this life. And yet God is, is working in that. He's redeeming in that. He's saving in that. And, and what I love about Psalm 40 is, is we get a response from the Lord. And some of the Psalms, there's a cry and there's a wait and and, and the psalmist doesn't see God's hand right away. And that's important too, because sometimes we cry out and we, we wonder, where are you, God? Are you going to save us? Are you going to work? Are you going to keep your promises? We, we have those questions. Yet in Psalm 40, we see the heart of God, which is a saving heart, a moving heart, a God who doesn't just wait for us, but moves towards us and saves us and rescues us. He lifted me out of the miry clay, out of that slimy pit, and he put my feet on a rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand, and he put a song of praise on my lips. 
You see, God is a saving God. He's a rescuing God. He's a good, good God. Isn't it interesting that the emergency room we go to because we want to live, because we don't want to (laughs) die. We want to live. And God invites us, if you want to live, come to me. Come to me, Jesus said, if you want life. In fact, he said, I have abundant life. I have eternal life. Come to me. In Psalm 40, we see a great contrast between two kinds of people. In fact, I would say this isn't just Psalm 40. If you remember all the way back when we started the Psalms in Psalm 1, it's a very clear contrast between someone who has a relationship with God planted like a tree along streams of water and draws their life from God versus someone who rejects God and says no to God. And Psalm 40 likewise has a contrast. There's two kinds of people. Those who wait upon the Lord and those who seek their own way apart from God. And so the invitation in Psalm 40 is to put our trust in God, to put our trust in God. Trust is an important thing. (laughs) It's a powerful thing. Many of you have dear friends. Many of you have spouses. Many of you have parents. Many of you have children. Many of you have siblings. Many of you have uh, neighbors. Many of you have businesses. And think about all those relationships, all those people. The glue that makes those relationships meaningful and life-giving is trust. Trust is a powerful thing. It's an amazing thing. It's a holy thing. It's a thing of the heart. It's a thing in order to have relationship. In order for anything to get done, there has to be trust. It's the glue. It's the relational glue that holds people together. Psalm 40 opens the door for us to understand that in order to experience the blessedness of trust, It has to start and trust in God. It has to start and trust in God. Verse 4, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. (laughs) And so one of the great themes of all the Psalms is blessedness, happiness. I want to be happy. I can guarantee you want to be happy. Everyone in this world wants to be happy. They want to experience blessedness. And that's why we do so much of what we do is because we're looking for blessedness. We're looking for happiness. And the scriptures are clear. There's only one source of blessedness, only one source of happiness, and it's God. He's the creator. He's the maker. He's the designer of the deepest longings of our hearts. The the greatest dreams of our hearts can only be found in him. And so verse 4 is profound in that it highlights this reality of trust, but It starts with God. It starts when we trust God, when we open our hearts to God and believe, as Bill said last week in Psalm 16, that God is truly good, that he's truly safe, that we can really cry out to him, that we can really run to him. In fact, if you think about it, when you call 911 or you go to the hospital, it's because of trust, because you think there's someone there who can help me when I'm in distress, when I'm in trouble. And this is the greatest call that we could ever make in our lives is to call upon the Lord, to place our trust in God and believe that He is able, that He can handle 
the circumstances and the trials and the struggles and the things that we face in our own lives, that God is able, that he is trustworthy, that he is safe, that we can come to him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud. And so there's the contrast. Those who trust and then the pride, the prideful. So what's the, what's the door to trust? How do we allow trust to be a reality, a truth in our lives, to, to be able to live in trust? I believe Psalm 40 reveals there's only one way, and it's through the way of humility. It's through the way of humility. Humility opens the door so that we could trust. You know, isn't it interesting with your closest friends, the people that you, uh, you trust the most, that you can be vulnerable with them, you can be real with them, you can let down your hair, <laughs> you don't have to be all put together, you don't have to perform. Those people know your weaknesses, they know your struggles, <laughs> they know your idiosyncrasies, the funny things you do or say or don't say, and yet they still love you. But the way that happens is that you have to be vulnerable with them, right? You have to open your life. You have to open your heart. You have to admit you don't have it all together all the time. You have to show them your vulnerability, your struggles. And that's how relationship is made. Now, there's something very powerful about this. If God has revealed that we were ultimately made, ultimately designed to be in relationship with Him. This is why Jesus came as a man, because He wanted to reveal a personal God, a personal God who could be known, who loves and can be loved, and who knows us and knows us and loves us in spite of who we are and all of our weaknesses and struggles and idiosyncrasies. And so if that is the greatest truth, that God is a personal God and He wants a relationship with us, the way to that relationship is through trust, and we have to be humble. We have to be realize our need for that relationship. The Bible is clear that the only way to have a relationship with God is by faith alone. Faith is another word for trust. To believe, to be open, to be vulnerable, to say, God, I need you. God, help me. And that's what Psalm 40 is all about. I cried out. <laughs> I sought the Lord. I, I looked to Him. It ends the psalm by saying, as for me, I'm poor and needy. And so it's through humility that we begin to experience the power of God to save us. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Humility, uh, I think we have a, a hard concept a lot of times. We think it means I have to think I'm nothing. But that's not what the Bible says, because <laughs> God thinks much of you. He thinks much of me. In fact, you're so valuable to him that he laid down his life for you. He was willing to sacrifice everything, give his greatest treasure in order to be in relationship with you. He thinks you're the most special of all of his creations. He loves you beyond measure. You are infinitely valuable to our God. The Bible is clear that we are made in the image of God. You have value. You have worth. So humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's understanding your, who you are in relationship to God and to others. And when we begin to realize our right place in relationship with God and others, there's no room for 
pride. <laughs> Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve. I came to give. I came to sacrifice. I came to love. And so humility is not self-depreciation. It doesn't lower your value. In fact, humility raises your value so much that you have something to give, something to lay down, something to offer, something to give. And God sees that value, but he wants us to understand a proper value in light of him, in light of others. And so this path to joy is through humility and Jesus makes a way. In verse 17, it says, but As for me, I'm poor and needy, but may the Lord always think of me. And so it's in recognizing our need, our humble state before God, that we are not God, that he is God, that God opens the way for us to see our value and our worth. But here's the key in order to understand the danger of pride. We have to understand the seriousness of our sin how our sin gets in the way of humility and trust, how sin and rebellion against God and how rejecting God causes us to experience brokenness in our own hearts and also in our relationships with all others. And so how are we going to experience this amazing blessedness of trust? It has to come through repentance. That's what Psalm 40 says, Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. Verse 11, May your love and your faithfulness always protect me. And so it's in repentance where we, we realize our need for God and we say, God, I don't have it all together. I, I don't have all the resources. And so that's why I love the emergency room analogy. If, if your appendix is swelling and you say, I'm going to figure it out on my own, what's going to happen? You're going to be in trouble. You have to be humble and say, I need help. I need someone to, to do something to help me. And so when we come to God and we realize our state, that our sin has caused brokenness and has caused problems in our own hearts, for troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me. I cannot see. And so as lovers of God, as people of God, we are repenting people. We are people who recognize our own brokenness, our own sinfulness, our own need for God. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. You see the contrast between the proud and the humble? But if we humble ourselves and we repent, then there's the possibility of God's power to save, of God's grace to sustain, of God's goodness to provide for us. There's an interesting uh, story in, in Luke chapter 13. I've always been fascinated by this. It's a short little account, but, but Jesus was uh, hanging out like he often did with people, and, and the disciples came to him. And remember, these are his disciples, his followers, and you're his disciple, you're his follower if you've placed your faith in Jesus. And they started saying, Jesus, did you hear about those Galileans who, who were killed and their blood was mixed with the blood of, of others? Because remember, the Jews are under Roman uh, oppression, and so they, these Jews were killed. And then they said, by the way, Jesus, did you hear about that tower that fell? And 18 people died. Distress, trouble. <laughs> Uh, we, we've been through some distress and trouble the past few years. Maybe personally you're going through 
some distress, circumstances that are overwhelming, bad things have happened. What do we do? It's interesting how Jesus responded to them because their assumption was that those people, that there was something wrong with them, that somehow they were more sinful. And so the, the, the question and the proposal before Jesus was, what did they do that was so bad that made them deserve those terrible things that happened to them? But Jesus <laughs> turned it on its head and he looked at them and he said something, unless you repent, unless you repent, you too will perish. He said to them, they did not do anything different than you. That's profound. Psalm 40, how do we have a relationship with God? Through trust, through humility. The temptation that we have as people is to always think that someone else is more to blame, <laughs> is worse than we are. We, we try to justify our own circumstances, our own things, our own responses, our own lives. And I got to tell you, this is the great danger for us in America. We're, we're, we're celebrating the 4th of July and we have so much to celebrate, so much to be thankful for. But human patterns have always been the same, just like those disciples who came to Jesus and said, look at those people, look how bad they are. See, they deserve that. We can do that too. We can become proud. And Jesus said, you repent. You repent. And so Psalm 40 is a, a psalm of repentance. We need to learn the way of repentance. Because in repentance, we learn humility, and we learn trust, and we learn blessedness, and we learn the blessing and the goodness of God, and the provision of God, and the salvation of God. Today on the 4th of July, as we think about our own nation history, there's a, a part of history that is so important for us as Americans. Um, if you go back and you read, our nation would not be what it is without having what are called, historians call, great awakenings. In fact, before the Declaration of Independence was uh, even signed, years before, there had been a great awakening. And if you read and you look at what happened in those great awakenings, is there was a move of God's Spirit where people begin to realize their need for God. Like Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord and I, I cried out to Him. And people began to see their own sinfulness, not the sinfulness of others, not the problems of others, but they began to recognize their need for God, that it is only through God that they could experience the blessedness that they desired. And there was a great move of God's Spirit in our land, and millions and thousands of people came to put their trust in God. And that happened again in the 1700s and 1800s. And it happened again not too long ago in the 70s. I remember when my dad told me in the 70s and 80s when he was in a, uh, working as a police officer in a, in a jail cell and the conviction of the Holy Spirit came upon him and he fell to his knees and he began to confess his sinfulness and repent and turn to God and begin to cry out to God and say, God, save me, rescue me. And that's not just one story because so many of you of that generation, there was a great move of God in our land. Millions of people, they call it the Jesus movement, happened. And millions of people repented and confessed their sins and came to put their trust in God. And it was another great awakening in our land. And that's what I believe Psalm 40 is inviting us to. A place of awakening. 
a place of recognizing our own need, (laughs) our own desperation for God, that it's only through trust in God that we can experience blessedness. And the danger that Psalm 40 tells us, do not turn aside to other gods. Don't look for solutions outside of God. Don't try to fix it on your own. Don't try to blame. Don't try to find ways apart from God because that only leads to destruction. And our hearts are so prone towards that. We want to find life and help in our hobbies and our jobs and our relationships and good things. Good things. But if they're not God, they cannot save us. They cannot redeem us. They cannot rescue us. They cannot make us whole. Only the Lord can do that. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. Here's the good news this morning. We don't have to do this on our own. God makes a way because God always makes a way and it's not up to us to perform, to somehow repent or, or, or try to do this on our own. That, that God makes a way because Psalm 40 is a, a messianic psalm. Did you know verses 6 through 8 are words from Jesus quoted in Hebrews chapter 10? Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire. You see, God's not here this morning tapping you on the shoulder and saying, you better do better. You better perform more. You better read your Bible more. You better pray more. You better do this. You better do that. That's not what God is saying this morning. This is what God is saying. Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Jesus sees burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. He sees your weakness. He sees my weakness. He sees our inability, and he moves on our behalf. Today, he is moving on your behalf. You might not know it, but God is moving on your behalf. He is doing something in you. He is calling your name. He is working on your behalf for your good. Will you listen? Will you open your ears? And this is what Jesus said. I am here. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. You see, God always had a plan. He always had a purpose. His purpose, his plan was to save, to redeem. And so when we're in trouble, when we're in distress, and life is way more than we can handle, there's help because Jesus has come. Jesus has come. He says, I desire to do your will, my God, and your law is written in my heart. And so where we fail, God makes complete. God makes whole, and God heals. Trust in the Lord, and you will find help. And I will find help. And America will find help. And this world will find help. It's bigger than just America. It's just bigger than just me. God has a whole world he's redeeming. He has a whole people that he wants to be in relationship with, that he wants to bless beyond description, bless beyond your wildest dreams. And here's the challenge for us this morning. Not that we perform better or do more or do better, but that we would trust in Christ that we would put our faith in Jesus, that we would turn away and repent from our own pride and we would humble ourselves and come before God and confess that God alone is great because that's what Psalm 40 says. When we give ourselves, when we trust God, when we find that he is safe and we lay our lives down before God, this is what God does. I will proclaim your saving acts among the great assembly. (laughs) 
I do not seal my lips, Lord. I do not hide your righteousness from my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. When we experience the greatness of God, the saving work of God, we can't help but declare it, that the Lord is great, that the Lord is great, that he is faithful, that he is good, that he will do as he promised, that he is saving. The great antidote to pride is encountering the grace of God. It's encountering the greatness and the grace of God. I think of Job, who, who had a lot of pride and was, was in distress, and he had a lot of things. Yet God looked at Job, and he loved Job. And he saw in Job a heart of humility. And after he revealed his greatness and his grace to Job, this is what Job said, I had only heard of you before, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. And that's what I want to invite you to do this morning. Will you trust in the Lord? Will you humble yourself so that you can experience God and not just know trust in God as a phrase on a coin, but it would be a reality in your heart, a reality in your life that no one can change or deny, that you can't help but proclaim, that you can't help but speak of because you know something about God that's the most valuable treasure that could ever be known, that God is worthy and able to be trusted, that in him is life, in him is love. We're going to take communion this morning, and if you didn't get a, a cup, uh, I'm going to go ahead and invite the worship team to come on up. If you didn't get a cup, uh, there's, there's cups over there. Feel free to go ahead and give up and get that. Maybe you're here this morning and you forgot or you've forgotten your need for God and you have a relationship with Jesus, but we need to be reminded of the fact that Jesus came to save us, that he came to make a way for us to be humble and to trust in God. <laughs> to fulfill Psalm 40, we needed help and the help is found in Jesus. And so as believers, we take this bread and this cup on a regular basis because we need to be reminded that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. That there's no life in all those other things. There's only found life found in Jesus. And so this morning, if you uh, take that bread, this is a reminder that God loved this world so much that he gave his one and only son and that Jesus' body was broken. He understands distress. He understands suffering. He understands anxiety. He understands Whatever you're going through, he understands in the deepest, most profound way. And he experiences that on your behalf. He shares in your suffering. He shares in the sufferings of this world because he wants to show us that he can be trusted. He doesn't just tell us he loves us. He demonstrates love to us. His own body was broken so that we could be made whole. So let's take and remember what he's done for us. After Jesus passed the bread with his disciples, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. So his blood was shed, his blood was spilled so that we could be forgiven and made whole 
and clean. I love what um, um, Ray uh, Ortland says, if we hide our sins, God eventually drags them out in the open. But if we bring our sins into light, God immediately covers them over. Isn't that beautiful? God covers our sin. Let's drink and remember.